0: You're listening to Living the Dream Acting, a podcast for actors and artists from stage to screen who are taking action on living their dreams. And now here's your host, Christina Kipper.
1: Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. Week number seven, people. I have been homebound for... This is the seventh week now. Uh, I worked from home the first four weeks and when I recorded this episode with Scott, I was working from home. And then I was officially furloughed. So I joined the ranks of all of those who are out of work uh, for the time being. And I sort of had two things happening in my mind. One, I was relieved to be able to just have some downtime. And I was excited to be really creative at home and have this extra time that I don't normally have. And then at the same time, after this two weeks passed, some realization started setting in about the reality of what's happening and what the future might look like. So I'm human, of course, I had a little meltdown. And You know, I've been spending time supporting others, but then I needed support. And last week we talked about making sure that we're doing things to take care of ourselves. So, meditating, exercising, this is all really important stuff. You know, just breathing, taking time to do self care. All these things are also free, by the way. Going outside and taking a walk, all these things are free. And also, when I was having my meltdown about the reality of my current employment situation or what the future might hold, I reached out to people who cared about me. It is still really important that we're talking, we're talking to each other, we're talking to people that can help, you know, talk us off the ledge if we're having a hard time. And you know what, if you don't have someone to talk to, there are resources out there. And you know what, go to our Facebook page group. We have a private Facebook group, Living the Dream Acting with Christina Kipper. And you can join the group, private message me, I will send you some resources and we can talk to each other. We can connect within the group. Let's check in. I'm trying to keep it really positive and focus on how we can use this time creatively. But I think it's also important that people are really being real about how they're feeling and what they're going through. And we're going to continue to go through these ups and downs, even though places are reopening, even though there might be a light at the end of the tunnel coming soon, there might be for some, there might not be for others. And we don't know if there will be a second wave of this. So we need to, you know, not be fear-based, but be realistic and be, and be looking at that and, also supporting each other. So go to the Facebook group, be happy to support one another there. Um, this episode today, I have Scott Coopwood, also known as Coop, on the episode. I encourage you to go back a couple years ago and listen to his first two episodes to get a little idea of who he is and where he's from. Professional actor, spent most of his time in the theater And what I have to say about this conversation, the thing that most stood out to me was how vulnerable Scott was for us, and just how brave he was to just really admit how he's feeling right now, and how this was affecting him. I hope you find it helpful. I hope you enjoy it. And I will talk to you on the other end. in all this craziness, the surreal world that we're in right now, how are you doing?
0: Well, that's kind of a loaded question. It's really, uh, I guess, all in all, I'm okay, given the fact that I understand um, how many people have lost uh, much more than I have, and um, much more than the people that I care about have. But at the same time, um, I'm, I'm living my life. I have my own I have my head and I, you know, the shell that I'm living in and I'm trying to wrap my head around what's going on. And so, um, the push pull there is me trying to reconcile like my personal, uh, loss and the pity party I want to throw for myself after I lose job, after job, after job, after job, job. you know, Mm -hmm. I lost five jobs in four weeks. Um, and, um, And with every one of those, there was a loss of paycheck. There was a loss of identity. There was a loss of family. There was a loss of love and there was a loss of trust. And then I've been left alone. Now, I completely understand, like I said, that there are millions and millions and millions of people walking in my shoes or in shoes that don't even have soles on the bottom. I understand that. Um, But all I can give you is my perspective from here. And I know that um, I'm doing the best that I can to not think down the road other than wanting this situation to alleviate to mediate to shift to get better in 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 any way so that people are not dying I mean because that's that's the reality is there are people a lot of people that are dying and um so I I don't want to sound you know it's hard not to sound like I'm like I said having a pity party for myself but um You know, the losses, I think everybody collectively in the country is now dealing with with a trauma. And however that manifests itself for you. Um, and, and some people it motivates to do more and some people it, 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 it crushes up into a ball and it doesn't let them get out of bed, whatever, and however that manifests for you, um, that's your reality and you just have to understand. And I heard some sage advice the other day on one of the podcasts I was listening to. I've taken to listen to quite a, quite a bit. I can't look away from the situation. Most of the stuff I listen to is political actually, but, um, but uh, there was some sage advice, and that was like, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's okay uh, to um, not uh, write the Great American Novel or to cure cancer or to write the, the next, like, Pulitzer Prize-winning play. It's okay to applaud yourself for just getting through the day um, because for a lot of people, that's, that's where they're at, whether it's economic, whether it's spiritual, whether it's social – whether it's whatever. Cause I miss touch just as much as anybody else. I'm a hugger. You know, that from our time mm-hmm. together, I hug, you know, and, and I haven't touched anybody in over a month. And, um, uh, you know, except trying to hold on to myself and, and, and my emotions and my intellect and, and try and stay sane. Um, but I find that, um, you know, for whatever reason, I'm incapable of picking up a book and I'm a voracious reader. And, and I've been talking to people about that and what that is. And it turns out that that's, that's, that's one of the manifestations of the way trauma, uh, uh, comes about, you know, some people will become super, super active and almost in a bipolar fashion. will go on a manic, uh, creative spurt or a baking spurt or a digging in the garden, whatever it is. And that's, that's how they'll deal. And for me, it's been frustrating because that's who I am in my normal life. I, I'm a worker. I'm a doer. I'm a grinder. And um, and now all of a sudden I've become very like I'm in a cocoon, like I'm very static and very in the mm-hmm. stasis mode. Um, I force myself every morning to get out of bed no matter what uh, it is when I wake up to get out, I eat breakfast and have coffee and then I go walk. And I'm lucky that I live like you. I live in an area where I can walk and not be near people. So I live in Marin County, California, and and I'm lucky. I don't live in the city and I don't live in Manhattan and I don't live in downtown Chicago and I can actually literally go walk for seven, eight, nine miles. Um, and, and, you know, maybe have to get within four feet of another person. But other than that, um, if we're not stopping, um, I, I, can, I can do that and I can find a way to exercise. This is the longest stretch I've been out of the gym in 40 years, you know, and so for me, um, it's been a real adjustment. Um, but I think the hardest thing and, and I'll, I'll wrap it up here so we can talk about something else. But I think I think the hardest thing and as I mentioned to you before, we kind of touch base before the interview was like, I am very conscious of the fact that. The family that I should have been surrounded with right now, because I would have been in rehearsal right now. This would have been my the end of my second full week of rehearsal um, for a play called Botticelli and the Fire at Marin Theatre Company. And then um, I was going to be closing that um, on a Sunday matinee and flying to Denver and then going to Boulder and starting rehearsal the following day for an entire summer season of... And, and for me, that sustains me, those, those relationships and that tribe and that family and that support and that creativity and that love are the things that, um, that keep me from isolating myself when things are, are not good. And now that, um, that my natural inclination when things are not particularly good is to isolate myself, but now I'm forced to do it. And so it's a kind of a double whammy where I have to realize like you, that the best thing for me to do is to reach out, um, and, um, Uh, And and to connect with people and um, have conversations and and talk on Zoom and and and, or just talk on the phone and just touch people in that way, because um, human contact and our individual stories, just like the theater is the storytelling mechanism for us, um, you know, to create empathy and warmth and humanity and to, to change thought and ideas and and to help us evolve um i think personal interpersonal relationships do that and we've gotten you know so far away from that in in our our modern Age. I think this is just kind of a reminder that maybe you don't need to send an email or maybe a text. Maybe I want to pick up the phone and actually talk to somebody. And and even me, I'd gotten away from that. I was I had become a texter as I was an avid non-texter years ago, and now that's what I do. And I realized in this time that's not adequate. That's not enough. I need to hear a human voice, and I need to hear another human being hear my voice.
1: Uh, I want to address a few of the things that you shared. I. I think that's absolutely right. That we're going through a global trauma right now. There's not a better way to describe that. And of course, we don't want to minimize uh, the experiences of those that are uh, losing loved ones, that are suffering in the hospital, that are sick, and uh, you know minimize those losses. And we also have there's space for us to acknowledge the trauma that's happening to us as well, Uh, even though it's different and we're not in the heart of those hospitals and and those centers. We're all going through something, something that, uh, you know, my son who's 14 can't completely connect around what all this is yet, but for, uh, for those of us who, you know, are are older, we're, like, we're thinking, at least I'm thinking, you know, I've never, I've been through personal traumas, but I've never been through anything like this. And I can't keep from thinking about my grandmother who went through the Depression and my great grandmother who was raising my grandmother during the Depression or, you know, uh, my grandmother during World War II and thinking about right. those those generations right. can relate to what we're going through now, but most of them aren't here to talk us through it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, Absolutely. and I, I'm thinking about them a lot right now. I'm thinking about those women a lot right now. And, uh, and, and I think it, it's really important to, uh, like you said, to have—that's what I wanted to do with this. I wanted to have these conversations. I needed to connect too. My first response was to curl up in a ball and cry, and yeah. you know, feel completely paralyzed and just want to watch um, episodes of The Office until I fell asleep every day. And I thought, okay, wait. And I, <laughs> I love The Office, and it is my go-to. And there's nothing wrong with that part of it, but the part of where I was feeling paralyzed um, was not helpful. And I am, uh, I'm luckier than some in that I still have a day job that is still paying me, you know, it's, it's reduced income right now, but I still have something coming in. And I, uh, so I still can engage, you know, but as an artist, but that's, that's my work. That's my day job as an artist. I knew there, there's some, we have, um, you know, something more that we can give and do. And, uh, certain, so certainly many people can relate to exactly what you said and, uh, are going through the same thing and are also probably thinking about what, what should I be doing or what can I be doing? Or they're, they're looking at the people that are sharing and singing and acting and you know, doing virtual plays now and everything. They're like, well, I I don't feel like moving. How how am I supposed, what am I supposed to do? How do I give? And I would say, just be for right now, be until you and make those connections, make those phone calls that you're talking about. And then when the timing is right, or the thing is right, they'll, you'll know what to do, you know? Um, And uh, so I'm really grateful. I didn't know, you know, who might be in the place that you're describing. I just knew I needed to reach out and, and now we have this moment, which is great. You know?
0: Yeah, it is so, great. I already feel better. Um, it's very nice. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Good. It's a, it's a counseling session uh, for <laughs> the world to listen in on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey man, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it both on my end and then when I listen yeah. back to it, then I'll think, you know, I'll put myself in another space. It's, it's great. And uh, yeah, I think this is, yeah. this is something we good. need to be doing more of just talking. Just talking, communicating, sharing, yeah, sharing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It absolutely, yep, absolutely. Because, and again, we're all going through this. It looks different for all of us, but we're all going through the same thing simultaneously. So we really don't need to be home alone, even though we have to be home alone and we have to social distance. You know, we can right. still um, connect, and maybe it's a in a weird way, sometimes a safer way to connect for some. You know, because yeah. we're we're yeah, physically true. distant, but we can reach out in these ways too. You know.
0: Well, I think the whole paradigm is shifting right now. Everybody's perspective on things, you know, I think everything is up in the air and everything's up for grabs. And and the shift in everyone's reality is causing everyone to rethink what their reality is and what their priorities are and what's important really at the end of the day. And I think that... That may turn out to be a positive thing as we continue to evolve. And once we climb out of this, if we remember where we were, yes. you know, and don't just forget it and don't yes. just forget it. You
1: know? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. We'll take it with us in as much as we can carry and, and carry forward. And uh, it will be a new normal for sure. I think that's really the best phrase that's being thrown around right now is it'll be a new normal. So. But uh, hopefully it'll be a wake-up call for some people, too.
0: <clears throat> I totally agree. I absolutely agree. I think there is opportunity here, and it just depends on how we choose to see it mm-hmm. and use it and implement it. Um, if it's a positive change or a negative one, I think it's really up to us to decide how we want to come out of this and what kind of society we want to be. And then on that level, what kind of artist, what kind of writer, what kind of dentist, what kind of like what kind of human being do you want to be after all this is yes. over? Do you want to be better? Or do you want to go back to the way you were when you were kind of like a an ostrich with your head in the sand? And and that's not to point fingers at anybody, but we are in America a little bit fat and happy. And until something of this magnitude obviously is going to take something like this to happen for us to finally go, oh wait a second. There's a whole bunch of social political uh uh spiritual systems who are that are kind of out of whack and maybe we need to rethink so if if it actually takes this um and and we uh push the evolutionary marker forward then maybe it will have all been worth it at the end um but a lot of people are paying the price right now and i i I don't think it's going to get any better before it gets worse right now and and uh um I, i just uh I just I feel for for humanity. I, I'm you know I'm somewhat of an empath, and I really it just it I think that's part of my stasis. Is it just breaks my heart on such a fundamental level that I I, I have a hard time engaging because it just all. You know, even though I see little teeny things of hope or I just have a conversation with a friend who's got an interesting perspective or, yeah, and I know we got to stay positive and, you know, go on that bike ride or go on that walk if you can, if you're not in Manhattan or something. But but, uh, on a fundamental level, I mean, I just am – the sadness, the heartbreak that I feel for everyone else and for myself and my community, the arts community, Uh, specifically, I'm very worried and troubled about – how we bounce back, and um, what it looks like when we do—that um, stuff keeps me up at night because. What do you, that's Scott? What are
1: you, yeah? What are you concerned about uh, that specifically around the arts coming back?
0: Well, I think you know, uh, as we saw in in 08, 09, there was a fundamental shift when that crash happened, and this one you know, maybe five, ten times more. And it may take many more years to climb out of it. And that's if we do the right things. Um, But we saw the fundamental shift in the way that theaters operated. We saw... an emergence on a good side, an emergence of voices that hadn't been heard before. A lot more women playwrights came to the fore, a lot more uh, people of of color from different uh, ethnic backgrounds and different religious backgrounds and different socioeconomic backgrounds, different gender backgrounds. Their stories um, became stories that we started to tell when we bounced back, when we finally did. But there were a lot of theaters that closed and there were a lot of theaters that went from being able to produce whatever they wanted to only being able to do plays with two or three characters and so that trims the job pool um you know and and, and i'm in my early almost mid 50s now and you know and 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 uh, straight up you know i'm a i'm a white guy and, and i've had my run um i think the bigger houses are going to be okay um but again like in know 809 those corporate dollars died up and the theaters had to go into their community. And some of the larger theaters have donors that can sustain them. And if they just shut the doors and put everybody on unemployment, like all this other industry, then the government's going to pick up the check or actually the taxpayer's going to pick up the check. But, but, um, when they come back, the one thing that buoyed me a little bit, my friend, Tim, who runs Colorado Shakespeare festival and, and I was scheduled to start there in the second week of May. And, um, we were going to do The Odyssey, and I was going to get to play Odysseus this summer. And uh, we were going to do Pericles mm-hmm. and Midsummer Night's Dream, and then Coriolanus and That and, um, well at Well. And we had a long conversation. He called me, you know, and I was walking around thinking the day before. I'm like, it was my last job, and I'd lost the four prior ones, both my teaching jobs and then my other acting job. And I was just hanging my hat on, you know, we don't start till mid-May. Maybe this thing's going to break. Maybe they're going to allow... Uh, campus to open up because CSF is on the campus at UC Boulder uh, uh, University of Colorado at Boulder and and so that's uh, the campus had closed through the 8th and canceled school but the the 12th on they hadn't made a decision about that yet so I was walking on one of my long walks um, you know to keep myself sane and I was thinking the longer I don't hear from Timmy um, the better off I'm going to be because when I see his face on my phone, if it's soon, I'm in trouble. And sure enough, the next morning I was getting out of the shower and my Mm -hmm. phone was vibrating and I saw my dear friend Tim's face on the phone and, and I knew what he was calling about and it just shook me to my core. And, And, uh, we had a long conversation and, and, and he tried his best to lift me up and he's a lovely man. And he's, he's got a beautiful thing going there in Colorado. It's the second oldest Shakespeare festival in America. And they do really, really good work. I'm really proud of the stuff that I've done there in the past. And, and I was so looking forward to going back and, and seeing, uh, those people in my family and the, and meeting new people and meeting new family. But, um, you know, he said to me at the end, he said, look, you know, what we're going to do. And, and Tim was, you know, such a he's such a dear man and, and he runs such a great festival there in Colorado. And like I said, it's the second oldest uh, Shakespeare Festival in America. And they do really good work. And I'm really proud of the work that I've done there. And and I was so looking forward to going back and especially after everything that had happened and all the prior loss of income and identity and family and tribe and all of my students, you know, not being able to see them again. As they go off to graduate, or they move to the next grade, or what have you. I mean, I didn't get to say goodbye to those kids, and um, uh, mm. in two different schools, you know, that I was working yeah. at. So, yeah, I was just, you know, I was. I mean, Tim said, "Look, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up the entire season." We're going to pick up 2020 and we're just going to pick it up as a package and we're just going to move it. We're just going to move it. We're not going to rethink anything. We're not going to reinvent the wheel. I want to do this season. I want you to be here. I want you to play Odysseus. I want, I want this company of actors. I just, we'll just put a pause. We'll just hit the pause button. We're going to pick this entire season up. We're going to move it to 2021. And, and I was, you know, uh, that that's nice. I mean, at least I have something to look forward to, you know, a year and a half down the road, but. But what he did say that made me feel good is he said, because we started this conversation asking about what I'm afraid of as far as the arts are concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, Because writers can write and painters can paint and poets can write and sculptors can sculpt. But the storytellers, um, the theater artists, um, I think that's your first, um, when things get hard, your first entertainment dollar that you cut out of your budget is your live entertainment. You'll keep your Netflix, you'll keep your Amazon. You may even go to a movie once in a while, although that that, that that may see a sea change. But the first entertainment that you cut, the first dollar you cut so when you're budgeting, is your live entertainment dollar, whether that's Cirque du Soleil or whether that's the circus or whether that's going to a museum or whether that's going to the theater. And I fear that this is going to hit us really, really hard. And if we don't get some legitimate support, uh, both from the NEA, from the federal government, and I'm not holding my breath where that regard because we know how they feel about the arts, Um, but state governments, I mean, luckily I'm in California and and Gavin Newsom and the people in California understand how important, I mean, the arts contribute $700 billion to state and local economies every year. You cannot discount them. And they're so important to the schools. They're so important to students. You can't just teach math. You can't just teach science. You have to teach creativity. You have to allow for creativity. So what Tim said to me that moved me, you know, as I was, I knew we were getting ready to hang up and and I was, you know, holding back tears. Um, this is a week ago today, actually, when I got the news. Um, he said to me, look, we're going to come back next, next June 2021. And w- we are going to be so welcome and so needed and so necessary that we will break every box office record we have ever set. And the two best box office seasons we've ever had in the last two times you came here, we're going to break those records and you're going to be a part of that because people are going to be so hungry to see us again and be a part of what we do and be a, have that shared experience of that storytelling that, um, you know, that's what's gotten me through is, is those words from him acknowledging that, you know, as tough as this is going to be, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and people are going to really, again, like we talked about appreciating the moment and changing the paradigm and understanding what's priority and what's important. It might get people to rethink the role of art in their lives, in the lives of their their, their children, their students, um, their culture, their community. It might get people to rethink how important art is. So maybe there is a silver lining and I got to hang my hat on that because it's what I do. I teach it and I perform it. Um, and I direct it and, 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 and I act in it. So it's my life. And I, you know, my initial worry is that it's going to be really hard to bounce back and then it's going to go away and that I'm going to, and all my peers and all the people I care about are going to really suffer. But at the same time, if it goes the other way and people realize, wow, that's something I really miss in my life is art. Maybe we bounce back even stronger. I don't know. And I can only hope, but, um, those, those are my concerns. Um, that instead of you know that 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 again we get marginalized as something that's unnecessary because the economy won't allow for it because it's just not it's not important you know how we don't prioritize arts and culture and pe and music and in the schools anymore the way we did when i was in school probably when you were in school and i worry that the powers that be will consolidate their grip and that they will push us farther to the fringes but that will mean we have to fight harder um but that also means it's going to be harder and, uh, I'm hoping for the opposite, but, um, I haven't seen anything in the last month that makes me feel real good. Um, I have to be honest with you and I don't want to be a downer, but you did say this was a therapy session. So I'm laying my heart and my soul, like open, I'm flayed open. I'm telling you the way I really feel. And, and I just, hope I'm out, wrong. Baby. um, I really hope no, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I really, I really am. I really want to. Um, Uh, and uh i'll I'll start shouting from their mountaintops when i start to see it and i do see snippets of it like social media and online people like my buddy robert every couple of days he'll pop up in a new costume doing a sonnet you know um people doing monologues and (laughs) people like posting old videos of themselves doing stuff so people are reaching out trying to make connection um and i I know things are going to evolve as we stay in lockdown you know and and i know there's some people doing readings and things online and I may may take part in some of that kind of stuff that's going on, but it's just not the same. And I just hope it can bridge the gap until we can come back together in a collective communal space and share story together. That's, 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 that's all I wish for is that that day comes as quickly as possible.
1: Yes. Yes. I think it, it, it will, and it will recover. And I love how positive that um, artistic director was on the phone with you. And I, yep. I think that in essence, this, if you sometimes can feel like one of those moments where if I've been experiencing something negative, even for, you know, like a 48 hour period, I have that feeling like it's always going to be like this It's going to be like this forever. (laughs) Or a week later, it's going to be like this forever. But it's, you know, in essence, we there are horrible things happening in, in certain hot spots and, and they really need to attend to that. And I think our, our thoughts and our prayers or whatever people believe, you know, do need to be there. And um, it's not going to be like this forever. It's not going to be like this forever. Uh, and like you said, I think, you know, we might have to fight a little harder or, it might be exactly the kick in the butt that, you know, people needed to appreciate some of the things that artists bring to the table yeah, that they I mean, were well, forgetting possible. about before. That
0: is absolutely possible. That is, yes, that is absolutely possible. And, and, and I'm not discounting that at all. I mean, I'm, I'm, like I said, you know, Tim shared that with me and I thought, you know, that's the attitude that I've got to carry just hard moment to moment to to hang on to that as I like sit here in isolation. But, but I have to believe that we will we will come back better and we will come back stronger and and what we do, the community and the communal experience, the shared experience, the storytelling, the the telling of, of, of every individual story from every perspective is gonna be uh, even even more valued. I believe that's possible. I really do. Uh, Because we have just been through a collective shared experience. We have just been through a trauma and there's going to be plenty of stories Mm -hmm. that are going to be like in the way that the crucible reflects the McCarthy era. There's going to be plenty of stories of people like I need to share what happened during like, you know april of 2020 and it will be analogous to this or to that or to this and we'll be able to go oh my gosh that's what you're talking about there were a lot of plays after 9-11 that did that that were very effective the AIDS crisis did that there were a lot of really wonderful wonderful pieces of theater and wonderful Mm -hmm. pieces of visual art and 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 poetry music that came out of those periods you know um um, so i i am buoyed by that but the economics of what it costs to do theater that's where my trepidation is because the economics of that and the fact that so many people are going to fall like there we're talking today on democracy now about 600 million people falling below the poverty line worldwide and 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 like food insufficient um in the next month and that that I, I, you know, and, and that's not, it's not like, it's not like, you know, it used to be always like that's happening in Africa or that's happening in Yemen. Well, no, now it's happening in Topeka and now it's happening in Tucson and now it's happening in San Diego and now it's happening in San Francisco. And, and, and until, I mean, I worry about our rebound until the health of the economy is rebounded to a point where people have that, that dollar that they will say, all right, I want to, I need a story. I need, I need a one on, I need a communal experience with a live actor. I need that as opposed to just another Netflix movie. I worry about how much longer, even after the pandemic is over that that transition is going to take. And that's my only fear is that like, if it takes long enough, you know, you, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, you don't want to get forgotten about, you know um, it's really easy to forget, like. Who's out here doing this work? Because it's it's so um, it's so fine and delicate. And and it is easy to just get left behind. Um, It's it's really it's a it's a strange thing to be so on the, on the edge of feeling like you, and it may not be real. It may not be realistic. And I'm usually pretty good about my emotional attitude about rejection and about like mm-hmm. people like, why didn't I get an audition for that? I am I'm really mm-hmm. about that. Um, and I let that stop bothering me a long, long time ago cause it was out of my control. But this, when I have all this time to sit in it and I wonder what's coming down the road and I wonder, what kind of plays are going to get done. And I wonder how many people, how many shows like theaters, going to cut their show schedule back. They're going to cut their cast back. And I just worry, you know, that as, as doors close, um, that one of them's going to close on me. And, and, and this is my life and my love and my passion. And it was keep me sane. And, and, uh, if it falls away, um, I mean, I love to teach, but if that's all I'm left with that, there's going to be a huge hole in my life. And, and I, I don't know if I'll rebound from that. So, I mean, that's just me being honest about it. Sincerely, I just, I, I worry a little bit. I mean, again, I'm being selfish. I am. I, you know, I can't help it. I'm sitting here by myself talking to you. You're a thousand miles away. And I'm just telling you how to do it.
1: <laughs> No, that's good. No, I, and I don't think, no, I don't think it's going to come to that. I really don't. I think it'll take some time, but it's not going to go away and never come back. I, I really think that. Um, and actually that, I think it'll help if we shift gears a little bit too. Let's talk about. You know, again, I, I think I mentioned in the beginning of the call that we haven't talked since 2016, so it's been four years. That's and crazy. Before, yeah, That's crazy. I know. Before this, uh, this, you know, hit and has been affecting all of us, if we kind of go back, I believe right shortly after our interview, you were headed out to do a show. Um, uh, what piece was that you were going to do? Yeah. Um, wasn't I going? was I going her, to Colorado? You were, no, Berkeley. You were heading out to Berkeley to.
0: Yep, I was going to do the Scottish play with Conleth Hill from Game of Thrones, and and Frances McDormand playing Lady Macbeth. That's where I was going after we met, because that's right, that was a, that was a January start. We met in December. That's right. That's right.
1: Okay. Yeah, I know even when uh, you know, just kind of following folks on, you know, everybody following each other on Facebook, I know, you know, you worked a lot after that as well. Do you want to kind of talk about um well what was that experience at Berkeley like and kind of, you know, moving forward from there, the types of things that really stand out to you in the last 4 years that that you feel proud of and that you feel good about?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I uh that was a remarkable experience because um, you know, first of all, Daniel Sullivan is like an icon of the American theater and, and to be, uh, it was humbling to be cast by him, um, in that show and to work alongside, you know, uh, Fran, you know, I'm allowed to call her that, um, yeah. <laughs> um she is, she is, she is an amazing amazing, amazing light and an amazing soul and, um, not just an amazing actress. I mean, we all saw three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri and, and she deserved the Oscar and all the other accolades that she won. And, but, um, she is about the work. And, um, even when we were in rehearsal and production, uh, she didn't want to go and do press junkets and interviews and didn't need, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, anybody anybody's attention except for the rehearsal hall, the other actors and the director. That's all she wanted to do. Um, she turned down a lot of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, as she could do that because she was a star and we were going to sell out, you know, no matter what. And then once once it opened and people knew she was on that stage and we kept adding weeks and adding shows. And we ran for I mean, that contract. If she wouldn't have had to go do three, three billboards outside of Ebbing, we would have kept running. We probably could have run for a year. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty remarkable. And, uh, Conleth who played Lord varies in uh, game of Thrones was a really lovely man from Northern Ireland. And, um, uh, we became good friends and some other people in the cast. And it was, um, it was a remarkable experience, but I think the most remarkable thing was just like what an amazing human being and artist, um, Francis McDormand truly is. And we've stayed friends and, and, uh, we have mutual people in common now. And, uh, we pass notes back and forth. In fact, I just did, uh, the last show I did that closed right before Christmas was a play called mother of the maid, um, about Joan of Arc. And it's really about Joan of Arc's mom, but it's about Joan's story. And, um, it previewed at the public, um, in uh, 2017 uh, with Glenn Close in the title role. And we were the second production of it, a uh, professional production of that play. And Jane and Fran were friends and Jane and Fran together wrote and uh, helped produce Olive Kittridge, Kittredge for which they both won Emmy awards. And Jane had just written the, and been Oscar nominated for the screenplay for the wife, another Glenn Close vehicle. So, um, I I bookend the beginning and the end of the last time since I spoke to you with with Francis McDormand and and then Jane Anderson as a playwright and as a storyteller um and then after Berkeley you know I I mean I I had a really good run um I've been very very lucky I've 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 had these nice windows where I can teach my classes I still I'm not involved with uh uh the nonprofit any longer, but I still maintain a school and I still go in as an adjunct to other places and do, uh, uh, periods of time with students in high schools and, and, uh, colleges on Shakespeare units, you know, so I can pick and choose if I'm available and if I'm not in rehearsal or if I'm only in performance, I can do this stuff. So it allowed me to really get back into, um, once I left the work with the nonprofit where I was teaching Eight days a week, basically, um, and, and got more balance in my life, and got more theater back in my life. As far as me being on stage, um, I became an even healthier person. I became a better actor, that's for sure. Um, hungrier, a more curious, uh, more investigative uh, in my in my craft. And so I had a, a real nice run. And my first summer in Colorado was uh, 17, and I went there and I did Brutus and Julius Caesar and. And uh, it's the first time I worked for Tim out there. And I did uh, Petruchio and Taming of the Shrew. And then I came back and I did a a world premiere over here in Marin. And and then uh, some work in the city. And uh, then that following summer. So I just kept grinding. I kept working. And and then they had me back. And I got to play Cyrano to Bergerac um, for the second and probably final time. But I'm one of the lucky ones. I've gotten to do Hamlet more than once. And I, I actually got to play Cyrano 11 years apart. Um, uh, uh, award-winning performances, both of them, <laughs> and um, uh, book-ended uh, eleven years. I'm a very lucky. I'm very lucky. I mean, you make your own luck to some degree, but I'm, I'm blessed. You know, I met a, a director named Chris Duvall, uh who was directing um, Shrew and fight directing Caesar that summer. And he just saw something in me, and and he pitched Cyrano, you know, to Tim and and CSF, and said, "This is the, this is the time." you know, it's going to be the summer of 2018. We need this story. We need this guy. We need this attitude. We need this, this person who will stand up to all of everything and not care about his personal safety or well-being because he will fight for the, for the, the idea, for the, for the, for the health of the idea for, um, what's right and what's righteous. And, and they, and he said, I, but I don't want to do it without Coopwood And so I went back, um, summer before last and and I did Cyrano and I did Love's Labor's Lost and I played Edward III in Edward III, which is a, co- a co-written show between Shakespeare and Thomas Kidd. And so um, it's in some of the books, some of the canons counted as a Shakespeare play and some of them don't. But I, I've actually uh, now gotten to play that. It's remarkable. And um, and then I came back and I went right back to work and then um, and then I taught again and did shows and, and kept, you know, because my healthcare is predicated on the amount of, of, of weeks I work on the professional stage. So um, I, 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 in 24-plus years, I've been without it uh, for one month, um, which means I've worked over 21, 20 weeks a year. The average equity actor works 13 weeks a year, which is pretty sad, which means they don't get health care. Um, the there's 50,000 of us. The average weeks worked is 13. This year, I was scheduled to work 41. Um, I was having a real renaissance, uh, I and, and I was not doing, ironically, classical stuff. I, 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 in May and June, I did the new Rajiv Joseph play. He's an amazing playwright. He wrote Bengal Tiger. Uh, he wrote Guards of the Taj. His newest play is called Archduke, and I got to do the, the premiere of that. He was with us in the room. He's a cute, wonderful human being, great writer, great storyteller, and I got to be with him for a couple of weeks in an amazing cast and do that play in uh, Silicon Valley at Works. And then I had a month off and I went down to Sedona, actually, and helped Kate with Red Earth and their production in Midsummer, And uh, that was a joy. And I got to get up and hike in the in the red clay every morning and and help them get that thing off the ground. And I had a ball doing that. And then I came right back and I started work on a play called Sovereignty by Mary Catherine Nagel, who is an attorney who is a partner in a law firm in Washington, D.C., who has uh, argued cases in front of the Supreme Court, who is an advocate for women's rights and for the Violence Against Women Act. She's also um, a, a Cherokee native. And it was the story of tribal uh, Native American sovereignty, tribal sovereignty, and her family's lineage in the Trail of Tears. And, and I was privileged and honored. That was, that was maybe not the biggest or the best or the grandest or certainly not the most showcasing of my talent or my ability show I've ever done in my life. But I will tell you this, it was clearly the most important play that I've ever done. Um, there is no doubt Mm. because of the relevance of, of choose the story, the, 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 the amount of the native actors that the theater brought in from all across the country and, and getting to know them in a real meaningful way. I mean, I grew up in Arizona, you know, I spent time on the, the Navajo reservation, the Apache reservation. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I have a little cursory understanding, but, but I spent, you know, nine weeks with people from different tribes uh, from New Mexico to Alaska to, to the Illinois um, and 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 got to hear their stories and the way that they're marginalized as people. And then, you know, what just happened in Massachusetts with, the, you know, the taking away of of the tribal sovereignty of that tribe over a casino. It just, you know, it, and, and then the Violence Against Women Act, which seems like a no brainer. But, you know, uh, we still haven't passed it. So. um or we haven't reauthorized it since Obama passed it in 2013. So this is, um, it's all incredibly relevant material. And then, you know, in October, November, December, I did mother of the maid. And um, that was um, one of the, one of the finest productions. Um, it's it's uh, we had to cancel all our award shows out here and all that stuff. But one of the one. everybody in the cast and the production and the set design and the lighting design and the sound design, I believe every single aspect of that production was nominated for a Bay Area Theater Critics Association Award. Um, it was one of the most remarkable storytelling events um, of my life and moved people to such a degree um, that they were just so grateful and overwhelmed by what we had shared with them and and the lovely woman, Sherman Frazier from Kentucky, from Louisville, outside of Louisville, who came and played the the lead, the mother. Um, I played Jacques, her husband, um, Joan of Arc's father. Um, she was, she she spilled her guts uh, eight, nine times a week sometimes. And I, I don't know, you know, and I'm very physical and I'm very active. I keep myself in shape. And I like to think I could do three Hamlets in a day or three Cyrano's in a day. But I don't know emotionally how this amazing, amazing woman Um, um, Sherman who's in her sixties and who's, uh, like a lot like my mom, like my mom was five, three and about 104 pounds, you know, Sherman's not a big lady. And, but she would just, just, just lift you up and tear you down and pull your heart out and then feed it to you and then take it back and hold it in her arms. And it was revelatory. And it was that way, every single performance and to watch, to be a part of, and be close to someone who is that in tune. Um, with the written word, with the human spirit, with the soul, is so uh, enlightening and, and, and uplifting and invigorating that I I am so grateful that, you know, I mean, I was supposed to go into rehearsal on the 24th of March, so I would have had a break of January and February and a couple of weeks of March. Then I went back to teaching, and I was supposed to be in rehearsal for another play, having its second production called Botticelli in the Fire, um, about the artist Botticelli. And, and that time period, and Leonardo da Vinci and their relationship, and, and I was going to be playing the, the bad guy in that, but uh, since that didn't happen, and that was a heartbreak in itself when they had to cancel that, um, but the last thing that I actually did get to do, the last memory of the last bow that I took on stage was with those people in Mother of the Maid, and, and um, that was really special, and if I had to end on one for any kind of period of time, uh, I'm glad it was there. Um, I'm lucky in that way, and, and I, I don't take it for granted at all.
1: That sounds awesome. That's a great way to look at that. Definitely. I'm thinking of a show that I f- believe I read an article about in Broadway world, maybe w- that you were a part of a production. Now, this is a couple of years back, but there was some controversy around.
0: Well, well. We did a play by Thomas Bradshaw. It was uh, in 2018 it was or 17, right after I got back from – would have been 17, I guess. I got back from that first summer in Colorado because my buddy Robert, who played Baptista and Caesar, and I played Brutus and I played Petruchio, we were both cast in it. He's from Berkeley and I live over here in Marin. And it was by Thomas Bradshaw, who's an African-American writer of some repute in that he wants to push your buttons. And he wants to get under your skin and make you rethink the way that you see and view and, and, re- and react and act in the world. And he's, he's notorious for that. His plays are really – they push the boundaries of um, – of, they push the boundaries in every single way. I don't know how else to put it. And this was a play called Thomas and Sally. And it was a play about their relationship, the, the theoretical possibility of a relationship between Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson. Because we know there was a relationship, we know there was eight children. Uh, we're very aware of that historically. But Thomas uh, uh, was um, was positing the idea that what if it wasn't just um, a master-slave relationship? And this, I know this is gonna uh, already people are gonna freak out that I just said that. But this was the playwright. This is this is all that he's doing is just putting it out into the world. What if? There developed there an actual relationship where these two people cared about each other, and it wasn't just master servant. Because it's possible, it happens in relationships whether they start out as kidnap and kidnappy, It's you know that syndrome. It, mm-hmm. However, it happens. Does yeah. happen. He was simply positing the idea: what if, and what if there was a relationship there, and what if Thomas Jefferson really loved Sally Hemings, and what if she actually cared for him, and they had there was a connection, an emotional connection after either one year or eight years or 10 years or 20 years of their relationship. What if? That was all it was about. And um, But it was, it created quite a firestorm because um, anybody, uh, uh, it, nobody wanted to take what I just said and think about the fact that he was just making a hypothetical thesis on what if. They wanted to just immediately decry the fact that she was a slave and he was the owner and there is no possible way and how dare you. But they wouldn't come into the theater and they wouldn't see the play. Um, protests began and then there was a whole nother movement. This is on Twitter. There were people in L.A. and people down in the south and Alabama and some other places, Virginia, Thomas Jefferson Estate, where people were how dare you say this about Thomas Jefferson because people were saying you know, bad things about him. You know, there was like a Twitter war and there were people Twitter pulled the plug on some people. It was very, very strange. And initially at the theater, once we opened, um, there was people that had begun to amass um, on on the the pavement out front of the building that were handing out these flyers. And uh, me being a middle aged, basically middle aged white guy, it wasn't obvious that I wasn't going to the show, that I was in it. And so I would stop and I would uh, engage these people in conversation and they were all older white people, older than myself and they were all from Mill Valley and they had a flyer that had, you know, boycott this theater, boycott this play, don't go see it. And they had quotes taken from quote unquote, the script, things that were not in the play, um, stuff that they had made up or stuff that they had heard. And the theater invited them to come and see it, offered them free tickets, but they refused. And then it shifted into, um, And then it shifted into a a racial component started happening and then a gender component where it was um, uh, black uh, African-American female activists started to boycott and 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 um, uh, uh, protest the play out outside of the theater. And um, to the point where the two of the women uh, that were in the show. Uh, would be harassed when they would come into the theater. And so we had to let them in the back door. And it was very uncomfortable. We, we had to do a, um, uh, a, an active shooter drill um, from opening night forward. There was an armed police wow. in the lobby at every performance. It was, um, and it was, it was incredibly difficult for the artists because they were doing their job. And they were asked to tell a story from a playwright based on a play that was commissioned. And just, it's a what if, and it became so personal for so many people that there was real damage done to both the community because what happened was all of a sudden you started to see the theatrical community start to eat itself, start to eat its own tail when we should be lifting each other up and supporting each other and having a conversation about it. They just were decrying it and saying, how dare we, when some of the people that were saying, how dare we had auditioned for it. And if they would have been in, it, it would have been a completely different attitude. So we started to eat our own and it was so depressing. Um, that uh, I don't put it on my resume. Um, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm happy to talk about it with you because it happened and it's real and and things like this do happen. Uh, you know, if you think about um, what was the Franken Christ, what was the you know the dead Kennedys back when that happened with Jello and when the artist with a uh, Christ piss. You know, I can't remember his name in New York, Maplethorpe. You know, this stuff does happen, but we need to have a conversation about why it's triggering this and what if rather than just being a cancel culture and saying, no, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, fuck you, you're wrong, and you need to go away. You know, free speech is free speech, man. And, um, you know, like in the Blues Brothers, (laughs) you know, I hate Illinois Nazis, but the Supreme Court gave them a right to speak. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the ACLU defended them. Hey, the rehearsal process was intense because there were a lot of things that we were not comfortable doing or saying. There was a lot of stuff that made us uncomfortable, and he assured us that his mission was not to make us uncomfortable. If we got on board and understood the 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 kind of the, the 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 canvas that we were trying to paint on, that we would create a play that would do what was happening to us to the audience, and that was his goal. So we all began to get on board and understood that it was almost I don't want to say cartoony because there was it was historically accurate to a great degree, and but there was uh, some. Uh, there was just uh, some elements to it that were almost uh, absurdism um, so that it was not quite like literal realism so that you could just distance yourself enough to maybe accept what he was doing. Um, and some people, and I, I know this from personal experience, said it was one of the greatest plays they ever saw. They loved it. They loved the challenge. They loved the ideas. They loved the, 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 the making them face the thought of what if. And there were some people that literally said, I, you know, I will never come back to this building as long as I live. But we got both reactions and I've been a part of other productions like that before where it was like, I'm tearing up my tickets. I'm never coming back or that's the greatest piece of theater I have ever, ever sat through. And I thank you. And, um, I, you know, this is not my first experience with that. Um, that's the point of art, isn't it? I mean, if if art is only to soothe. And yes, that's a that, there's a purpose behind that. Let's all you know, let's all go see Annie Got Your Gun or, or, or hair. That's great. But there's also a place for art that makes you think, that makes you question, that makes you like reevaluate who you are in the world and what you're part of that is and the human experience and the pain and the sorrow and the anger and the anguish of the human experience. There's a place for that too. And I think all all those voices have to be welcome at all times or we do a disservice to ourselves and our humanity and our communities.
1: I want to talk about what... I love this idea of you playing Odysseus and then I have another comment about what I'd like to see you do, but, uh, tell me what excites you about that role in particular.
0: Um,
1: that I just see that so clearly you
0: know, for you. That's, that's funny that you say that. Um, I was, you know, and because I just lost that job a week ago today, I, I was, you know, on this time since we've been in quarantine in California, basically for, Oh, um, Almost a month now. It'll be a month um, this weekend when we got shut down for good. And so I was still going. Yeah, out.
1: we're be we're be, here in Arizona. We're behind you by about maybe a week yeah. and a half. I want to say like we're moving much more slowly. Uh, so yeah, that yeah. makes so sense. So it's been a while,
0: but like um, as things started to fall away and you know, the income and the identity and the other theater job got lost. I, I kept hanging my hat on Colorado. And so what I would do is, um, I would read, you know, midsummer cause I was going to voice puck in midsummer. And then I was going to do Pericles and I was going to do the odyssey and the odyssey is, Oh my God, it's Mary Zimmerman's odyssey that debuted at uh, OSF in 2017. And it's, um, It's true to the novel, obviously, true to the the epic poem, but his role is, um, it's staggering in size and scope, and um, it's even bigger than Cyrano. I would venture to say it's bigger than Hamlet. Um, It would be the biggest thing I've ever done. And when Tim and I were talking about it in September, October, he told me that it was going to be the biggest thing they had ever tried to achieve on their stage outside there at Colorado. So... Um, and he said, I don't want to do it without you. So before we announce the season, I need to know if you you will do this for us. And so that was, you know, humbling and an honor. And I had to say, yes, of course. And then, you know, I remember reading it in college and I remember it being just beyond the scope of imagination. I know there's a couple of films. There's an Armand Assante version, you know, that was, I think, made for TV. It was a two parter. And and uh, then there's, you know, there's Troy and there's a couple other ones that have the part of the Odysseus story in it. But the play itself is 130 pages, so it's pretty long. And he retells his story again and again and again, adding new stuff. So he basically has the majority of the dialogue and the plays so that it will get played out behind him or with him interacting with it, but also like narrating it as he goes. So um, I started looking at that and I started thinking, wow, that's going to be a challenge in and of itself to 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 keep it from being static and who wants to listen to me talk for three hours god dang you know so i was like what i gotta dig find out what this cat what is his deal so i I, in addition to reading the play every day in my isolation i recorded um uh, both acts of it multiple times and i had a little digital voice recorder and i would go out for my my seven mile walks and i would just listen to Um, Like the paragraph or the three lines before my cue and then listen to what I actually said and try to decipher who this guy was based on what was said to him and his reaction to it in the moment. Now that I know the story well enough and I understand where we are in time and space and what he's reflecting on, because almost all of it happens in, in, in memory, almost all of it until the last third, last quarter, when he actually gets home and has to kill the suitors and gets his wife back and gets his father reinstalled in the palace and gets to meet his son for the first time because he left when his wife was pregnant. He's never met his son, uh, Telemachus. So he's missed all of this, but there's components to him that make him incredibly difficult to understand and incredibly complicated. And I thought, well, what's really cool about this is this guy is human. Because um, I can't understand right here if if it's it's his hubris and his ego that's getting him into trouble or when is his realization that he has he has to take some responsibility for his own plight because he blames the gods. He blames his crew. He blames but he he has a he does. I finally realized it was only about a week ago, right before Tim called me, that I was like, I found the two like linchpins of where he has a come to a, a come to God meeting, where he understands that he's responsible for his own journey, and that he made choices, and that he had been blaming, and he had been, uh, you know, and he's a, like the ultimate warrior, and it saved you know, countless amounts of people and had done countless good things, but he had also endangered people and gotten people killed. And he never took responsibility for it until finally he does. And I thought that's the trick. That's what I gotta find. Is is that where that transition happens, how it happens over this time, especially telling it as a memory. How do I show this guy going from this arrogant warrior king, huber like best warrior on the battlefield like Cyrano was the best fighter and the best this and the best that like and and Hamlet is the best of the best of the best but they're all relatable in that they all have their own foibles and their own like human qualities that get them into trouble and that cause their own demise and so that's what I was looking for was those hooks with why is this guy even though it's an epic poem like pre you know it's like you know it's it's Homer it's you know uh, I mean it's it's thousands of years old. How do I make this guy human when we're talking about a world where there are gods, where there's Poseidon and Zeus and and Hermes and and you know all of these characters, mytho- mythological characters? But how do I humanize Odysseus? And I think that that the bottom line is that Odysseus is human, and that that is both his greatest strength. And that is also his greatest weakness is that he is a human being. He's fallible and his ego gets in the way, his hubris gets in the way like King Lear, Um, like Cyrano's hubris gets in the way, like Hamlet says at times. Um, But, but the fact that they have that humanity always leads them, you know, to a place in the end where our empathy and our, 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 our yearning to see them succeed because they are human. And that's like this time period that we're going through is that we're all like, I think it's so relatable because of the humanity that we're talking about, what we're losing, hopefully the perspective that we're gaining and the humanity and the empathy that we're gaining for people that have that that, that are in more dire straits than we are, that have less than we do, that maybe we come out of this understanding humanity a little bit better because we've been through something collective together. And I think that, that, that uh, it was just a no brainer for me to just relate those two right now, because we're having this conversation and it makes perfect sense to me, but how can I find the humanity? Cause that's what is great. And also what's wrong with this guy. That's it. He's human.
1: Yeah. And be, we can, we're both right. We're hero yeah, and yeah. we're um, we're, you know, yeah. mental health cases all yes, in exactly. the same breath. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Yeah, we can do these amazing, wonderful things. And we can also stab a friend in the heart at the same time, you know, uh, whether we intended to or not. You know, both of those things are all of us. Yeah. 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 I love that. Uh, As. As we're talking about the different roles that you've done, uh, the roles that I know you will be doing in the future, <laughs> I know there are a lot of people who will not uh, get to see you live just because they might be listening to this and they're you know on a you know they're thousands of miles away and they're not going to be able to you know to catch you in a production in person. I would love to see you. Uh, you know, consider. Putting some stuff out there right now while we're home. I would love to see you, you know, doing snippets of Shakespeare, uh, you know, pieces that are that are near and dear to you, and just putting yourself, setting up your phone, and and putting stuff out there and and sharing what you do with people and and letting people, you know, enjoy that from a distance. That would be really great. I appreciate I'd love that. to see you and do it's, that.
0: It's something that's actually uh, I had a conversation with. Uh, with someone the other night about possibly doing that. And I told you about my friend who's doing sonnets a couple times a week and, you know, cause he's got plenty, there's 154 of them. So he's got plenty of them to do. And, but, um, you know, it's crossed my mind. But, um, as we spoke about early in the conversation right now, anyway, my reaction to this and and I'm just being honest is, is stasis. I have no desire. I don't know why it's so antithetical to who I am as a human being, but I don't have, and maybe this will trigger something in me. Maybe our conversation, maybe the one I had last night, maybe the one I had with Jason three nights ago Mm -hmm. will, will the cumulative effect will trigger something in me to, to, to want to like activate again. But right now, um, I, 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 I think about that, but it's a passing thought because I, I just, my, my motivation is, um, And I don't know why, again, it's psychological, I don't know why, but I'm just kind of in this period of like, I'm just kind of in a cocoon, but I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate it, and I, you know, I I think it's something that, that I think people would value. Yeah,
1: and you're out there right now by having this conversation on the podcast, and, uh, you know, something might feel right at some point, so know that there are people that would love to hear it, let's put it like that. That's very kind weeks after I had this conversation with Scott, he actually did end up participating in an online reading for a local theater company here in Sedona, Arizona called Red Earth Theater. And you can find that out on YouTube. So I'm so glad that he decided to do that. And we'd love to see him do more. And we would all benefit from it for sure. So um, just a few last minute thoughts. were. We are all living the dream during COVID-19, and we just need to remember to breathe. We're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have stress. We just need to breathe and try to stay centered and positive. I don't know how it's going to be okay. I just know that it is going to be okay. And we're going to end with this song from Janine Valentine, Survivors, that we shared with you last week I can't get it out of my head and I think it's completely appropriate for this time period so please enjoy the song remember to breathe, stay safe stay healthy and I'll see you next week
2: I want the world to change its mind, erase the labels and be kind in a place we all belong hurting anyone I hope that peace will find its voice carry away through all the noise if we're strong enough to speak they'll see our beauty where do we go from here I just need a reason to push on. our way.